I just want to quickly recap what we said last week about being present in the presence of God. And in our conversations and in our fellowship over the last couple weeks, we really fight and we really are confronted with the American culture that is just so bent. First of all, our culture is so caffeined out and so jacked up on sugar that we can't even think, we can't even be quiet, we can't have any moments of quietness. We have notifications happening all over the place. We got 14 notifications every third. I put my phone down the other day, right? And I pick it up like 15 minutes later and it's, it looks like a Christmas tree. It's blinking and she's got all these notifications everywhere. And I'm thinking, I quit. <laughs> it's just, I, can you keep up with life? I am not doing so well with that. And this culture that we live in is we wake up in the morning and what we hear from the moment we get up to the moment we go to sleep is hurry up, get moving, catch up, don't miss that appointment. Right after the service today, my wife and I are going to go out for a vacation. And this is a paid vacation that her company pays to send us. And we haven't been on one for about two years. I'm really looking forward to it. And this is going to be great. But we have a plane to catch. And it's on my mind. We live in this culture that is just so pressed for time. You know why? Because the flesh has an expiration date. The flesh understands that its time is short. We understand in our physical body that we are going to not be eternal physically. I mean, we will be in the kingdom of God, but there is this sense that we are running out of time, and it's the baseline of all of our thinking, and so that creates anxiety. We press forward without processing what's happening in the moment with God. Uh, We don't know how to process past failure. We don't know how to process past guilt, and that that seeps into our present moment called anxiety. Because anything that's not dealt with at the cross of Jesus Christ, our past, our present, or our future, is going to sit in our soul unresolved, unresolved, and is going to cause anxiety. It's going to cause a sense of something that's not resolved. It's like, it's like living in an apartment, hearing the shoe drop upstairs, and then just waiting, and you can't go to sleep until the other, uh, the other shoe drops and hits the floor. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if you guys have that kind of OCD, but like I'm laying in bed, I hear the thump, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> we live in this sense of tension, and we live in this sense of unfulfilled, and we race through our life, and we get to, we get to the age 70, and we're like, I don't even remember what happened last month. Because I'm just trying to catch up the whole time. And this is the curse of the society that we live in. When we look at Abraham, Abraham was a man who, with his family, they were nomadic. They were, they were not pyramid builders. They were not high-tech, ancient philosophers that had this incredible understanding of things. They were simple people that walked with God. And that the tent of Abraham, the tent of Moses, was really the dwelling place of God. And so these men and Paul and others learned how to be present in the presence of God. We said three things last week. We looked at Genesis 33. We talked about how uh, Jacob met the angel of the Lord, wrestled with Christ at at Penuel, and as he was there, met God. And then he realized that he said, "I I was in the presence of God and I did not know it. 
That is the case of much of Christianity that could happen to us very easily, that we could be in the presence of God and not even know it. Here Jacob is wrestling about a future meeting he's got with a brother, Esau, an unresolved conflict, a family problem. And we just came out of the Christmas, Thanksgiving, New Year's uh, pocket of holidays, and I'm sure that all of us had very interesting family situations, family conversations that, that we to this moment don't know if they are resolved or not. Jacob is worried about his meeting with Esau. He meets Esau, and Esau in the Old Testament represents the, the energy, the unsettled energy of the flesh, is what we said last week. Jacob represents the shepherd heart of God. And Jacob here says as he meets with Esau, and Esau says, let's go, let's go to Seir. Jacob says, you go on ahead, because if I rush, and if I push the sheep, and if I push the animals, if I push the, the young uh, the animals with young, they're going to perish in one day. This is the speed of God. We talked about the speed of God last week. Jacob represents the shepherd heart of God, uh, of, of Jesus Christ. The second thing that we said, and by the way, uh, we quoted this guy, Koyama, and he is actually a, he was a Japanese missionary in Thailand, and he said this. He said that God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would not have, he would have gone much faster. And that is representative of the road to Emmaus. He's walking this entire day with these disciples out of Jerusalem who are confused, they're disillusioned, and they're discouraged because what they thought was going to happen, Jesus coming back to be king in Israel and deliver Israel from the political oppression that they were under is now dead. And they don't know that he rose from the dead. Talk about discouragement. Talk about disappointment. Talk about disillusionment in a movement. And Jesus is walking with them. And we said this last week, he had a church to plant. He had the Holy Spirit to send in Acts chapter 2. He had the gifts and the callings to, to distribute in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, he had the apostles to send out and later in the book of Acts chapter 1. He had a lot to do on his task list. But he's just walking down the road at the speed at 3 miles an hour, walking with these disciples like us sometimes. We're walking out of Jerusalem. We're disillusioned, we're confused, well, what did God just do, what just happened? We thought this was going to be awesome, and now here we are walking in the other direction, and Jesus is walking with us in our darkness. And that's what we said at Christmas, for our Christmas service, is that Jesus was born in our darkness. And so Jesus is walking with his disciples, and as he's walking with them, he's talking with them, and he's not in a rush to go anywhere. One time we were at a leadership conference, and our pastor asked us this. He said, how fast do you walk when you're speaking with people? Now, we don't walk a lot here, but when we lived in Europe, we walk everywhere. And I'm a fast walker. I enjoy walking fast. And he said, how fast are you walking with people when you're talking with them? And we just thought about it, thought about it. Jesus here is walking at three miles an hour because he's not walking ahead. He's not pushing his disciples. He's not dragging. God doesn't push people and he doesn't drag people. He walks with us. He is walking with us through our darkness. It's God's slow pace. And this is the second thing we said last week in Psalm 88, verse 18. If you read Psalm 88 and you read Psalm 42, do that sometime. That's your church homework, okay? Go home and read Psalm 88. And if you haven't read Psalm 42 recently, read that. Compare the two. And you're going to see Psalm 88 is talking about David's darkness. Because when God, God wants to slow us down, and if it's not something that we understand voluntarily, 
God will, then, then, we, then there's the voluntary plan of God, and then there's the involuntary plan of God, the enforced plan of God. God will arrange circumstances in our life where we're laying on our back and we can't move. And that was me years ago. I had this back injury, and for six months I couldn't really get out of my bed. And I just went through, it was unbelievable. I went through all of this crazy thinking like, I can't do anything for God. I can't be in my office. I can't be serving people. I can't take trips. And I had to literally, to go to the bathroom, I had to literally, it took me about 20 minutes to get to the bathroom, which was in our bedroom. And I had to crawl out of the bed, lay on my back for a second or two until the pain was gone, and then kind of get on my, on my hands and knees and just kind of crawl slowly. And my wife couldn't help me because if she tried to help me, then it would be like, it would just be too painful. And I had to crawl to the bathroom, and I just remember thinking, what is going on? God had to slow me down. I was looking at the ceiling, and I was like, God, what do I, I can't do anything. And God said, this is exactly where I want you. I want to talk to you. I want to pour into you. And you know, that six months became one of the richest times I've ever had in the Word, where God and I just fellowshiped, and we communed together. God wants to get us alone with Him. And when we're alone with God, when these times happen and this loneliness comes in, we're faced with a lot of dark thoughts. A lot of darkness comes. We are running from darkness. We are running from un, un, uh, unresolved conflicts in our childhood. We are running from the primeval problems that we have deep in our soul that we don't know how to resolve. And that we're not even aware of. We don't even know what's going on deep in our soul. And then the third thing that we said was that when, when God gets alone with us, when he gets us alone, and we're no longer running around in Christian volunteerism, which is so tiring, um, Christian volunteerism compared to the call of God. If you're called to do something, if God's calling is in your life to do something, to lead, to do something, you're going to sense the presence, you're going to sense the grace, you're going to sense the wisdom, you're going to sense the strength for the spiritual warfare that comes with your calling, and you're going to have, you're going to have the, you're going to have um, uh, the peace of God in that. And so, when we are in this circumstance, we are forced to be present with the presence of God. And this is Habakkuk chapter two, verse twenty: "The Lord is in His holy temple; let all the earth be silent before Him." Can I ask you, where is the holy temple today? That was written in the Old Testament. Where is the holy temple today? That's it. It's in us, right? So let's read it that way. The holy, the holy God, the almighty God, the creator of the universe is in us, right? Okay, it's, in a, it's not in a cathedral down the street. He's not in some building down the street. He's not in some experience. He's in us. He's in us. He's in the Johnson family. He's in the Martinez family. He's in, he's in you guys. He's in us. That's where the holy God lives. Isn't that amazing? I mean, if we could just stop and park there and just let God talk to us about who is in us. My gosh, and that's the whole campaign of the devil that he would never, that we would never understand who we are in Christ and what we have inside of us. Because if we could understand who is in us, and when we walk into a city, when we walk into the mall, when we walk into a circumstance, we have all of heaven in us. We have, in Ephesians chapter 1, we've been set above principalities and powers. We are seated at the right hand of God. And he has put all things under the feet of Christ. And if we're in Christ, where are all things? Under the feet of the church. Right? I mean, you guys have that house down there where you guys are ministering to these kids. That's amazing. You guys are doing this. And 
Where is the satanic um, attack on? It's under our feet, isn't it? Yeah. We walk into, we wake up and we're like, wherever I go in Joshua chapter 1, this is not really what I wanted to talk about this morning, but I'll get to it. Joshua chapter 1, everywhere we place our foot is what has been given to us. Now, there's so much to that because Joshua is a guy who, we look at Joshua like, okay, this is a mighty man. He was just full of power and like, what a leader. And he's just out there leading people. But if you can read the beginning of his calling, it gives a lot of, it sheds a lot of light on what kind of man Joshua was. God had to put Caleb in Joshua's life. Do you know why? Because Joshua may not be the person that we think he really was as far as his character. Moses says to Joshua, God is with you. Everywhere you go, God is with you. As he was with me, he's going to be with you. Moses is speaking into Joshua's life continually. Then God in Joshua chapter 1 is saying to Joshua, go forward, I am with you. Just as I was with with Moses, I will be with you. And go forward, move forward. Why? Because I think Joshua secretly struggled with with discouragement. I think he had moments of paralysis as an individual, as a leader, as a man. And I think there were moments where he just struggled with encouragement. And he struggled with sometimes the call of God. And And so Joshua is leading forward in the presence of God. God is present in us. And that was really last week's message, kind of. Maybe go back and listen to it if you want to. Some points I hit were there and some points are not. But here's the main point I made last week was that when God slows us down and gets us alone with Him, three things happen. Number one, He causes us to confront inner darkness that we're running from. Just There's no, no choice. We're, it's there. I can't run anymore. No more drugs. No more alcohol. No more relationships. No more going out on the town to forget and to drown myself in my troubles. There they are face to face. But guess what? We're not alone with those problems because in Psalm 42, it says this, that God alone, God is with me in my loneliness. Second thing that happens when God gets us alone and slows us down, he begins to heal us from anxiety. He begins to heal us. You know, we face death and we're no longer scared of death anymore. We face disease and we're no longer fearful of disease anymore. And then the third thing that happens is God makes us present in our relationships. He brings this presentness, this focus in our relationships and family members begin to take notice. I don't know how about if you guys have had this happen this Christmas, but has family members said something to you like, what's going on in your life or you're different or kind of they give you that look like, you know, you're different, you're growing. I mean, Johnny's like, man, he's like a different, different guy than I met with four years ago. I mean, it's what a lot of, so much maturity, just a young man of God, it's awesome. I just want to say for a few minutes, just for the remainder time I have here with you, is I want to just talk about the second, the second part of this series is about the depths of God calling out to the depths of man. Now, I don't know if you've heard of Watchman Me, and I don't normally preach booklets. I don't preach books, but... I mean, I don't go through a book and just re-preach the whole thing. Um, but I am going to just do some quotes from this little pamphlet I got a hold of from Jeff and Marcia. I love watching me. I love his writing. I love the way he talks about deeper life with God. And there's a little booklet for a dollar on Amazon. It's called Deep Calls into the Deep. And I love this thing. I got it. It's you open it up and it's like looks like somebody printed it on their Xerox, on their Xerox machine with a hardcover like 
and it, you open the book and it's just loaded with depth. And I just love this, and I love this type of Christianity because in Psalm 42, verse 7 and 8, David says these very, it's kind of mysterious, but read it with me. Deep calls to the deep at the roar of your waterfalls. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. He's talking to God. By the day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I woke up this morning with that verse in my mind, a prayer to the God of my life. A prayer to the God of my life. God of my life. Just think of that. And I just want to say four things this morning. Number one, we are deep people. 2, Timothy, 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 7 and 9 tell us Paul talks to this precious church that he planted in Greece, in Thessalonica. We took a mission trip there a couple of years ago to Greece, to Thessalonica. We went down there, some of the best coffee I've ever had. It's a very interesting place. We did, we did, we did, uh, we just, we showed up in a van, we got out of the van, we put our stuff in the hotel, we went on the streets and just talked to people. Just like that. And we didn't know anybody there, and we met people. We got, we got people that connected with us, we met people. Paul says to Thessalonians, he said, you were so precious to us. You were dear unto us. Read the words, the pastoral heart of Paul. Paul's an apostle, but he's a pastor. And he says, you were dear to us. Can you hear that when you read those verses? You're dear to us. And that, that's the thing about a pastor, a pastoral gift is, is that God gives you love for people. That just goes way beyond people. And he said, you were dear to us. You were so dear to us that we were not content to just give you some doctrine or the gospel doctrine only but we imparted our very souls. That's what fostering is. Fostering, we, my wife and I fostered and adopted a, a boy. You know, I, week number two, we were, we were fostering, and my wife's like, we're not giving this kid up. <laughs> I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, like, you know, which is when you're fostering that, there's that fear like, like, okay, he could be taken from us. And that was very painful. That was a hard thing to wrestle with. And I know people that have had their kids taken away because they're like, the birth parents, family situation changes. We are deep people. And we crave depth. We're deep people. We require depth. We require this kind of spiritual depth. We require what it says in Romans chapter 8, that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is witnessing or communicating with our human spirit. And it's testifying to this one thing, that we are the sons of God, that we have identity. When there's no depth, we are depth, we are deep people, and when there's no depth, there's no understanding of our identity. Here, um, Watchman Nee says in, this, in, his, in, in his book, he says, only a call from the depths can provoke a response from the depths. Nothing shallow can ever touch the depths, nor can anything supernatural, I'm sorry, superficial, superficial Touch the inward parts. Only the deep will respond to the deep. Anything that does not issue from the depths cannot touch the depths. Others can respond deep within to only what issues from deep within us. You know, the word here that, that David uses in Psalm 42, that the deep calls him the deep, he uses this word that is used in Genesis chapter 1, I think it's verse 2, about the primeval deep depths of the ocean. 
that this was this deep ocean, the depths of the ocean. We are deep people, and the depths of God cries out to us. And what does that mean? It means this, is that we are not going to be satisfied if we don't have depth in our life, if we don't have depth in our relationships. If our relationships, we're not sitting down and talking about, hey, you know, um, it's great to go, oh, I think the Texans, did they lose last night? They won. They won. But the Pats lost. They lost last night to the, to somebody. Just ignoring the Patriots issue, I don't know why. You know, so we need, we need a conversation that goes deeper than that. We need a conversation that just says, hey, look, and this is the frustration that I have sometimes with pastors. When you meet with other pastors, sometimes there's that fellowship, but a lot of times it's just talking about, hey, how's Sunday morning go? Or what's going on with your church? Or this or that. And it's like, hey, brother, what did you preach about last Sunday? I want to hear that. What was in your heart from God? What was the depths of what God was speaking to? We, we desire that. And without that, there's no way that I can impart anything to you. If I'm not walking in depth in my life, I have nothing to impart to you. I can give you knowledge. I can give you emotional stimulation. I can give you a good psychological message. But I can't give you anything spiritual. And, when, and my fear as a pastor is, is that people would come to our service and they would walk out and they would be like, I didn't hear. I, where, was, where was God? I, didn't, I was not touched in the deepest part of me. The second thing is this, is that we need deep roots. We're deep people. We are deep, and we require deep relationship. And that's why relationships that you and I have require depth, that we go deep in our relationships. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. It, t- it takes time spent. We are deep people. We, need, we crave depth. We need deep roots. This is Mark chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. Uh, Jesus is talking about the roots, the seed that gets scattered, and some of the seed goes into shallow soil. Shallow soil. This talks about Christianity today, or talks about people that live in emotional, impulsive thinking and actions, and that is shallowness. Because when we hear the word, and if there's no depth in our life, you know, when we start off in a Christianity, we're not deep people. It's going to take time. We're not going to immediately be a deep Christian. But if we hear the word and we respond to it in emotions and we respond to it in in some soulish way and not spiritual, then the response is going to be like, let's go for it. Let's do it. Amen. And that's great that we respond to it. But if it doesn't grow deep. I love what Mary, I was thinking about this last night, Mary, the mother of Jesus Remember when the, Holy, when, when the angel of the Lord came to, to Mary and said, said all these incredible things? She's probably just a young teenager. What does, it, so what, does Mary, what does Mary do? What does Mary do? Mary hides these things in her heart. Just goes deep. She doesn't really say much. She lets it go deep in her heart. We need deep roots because, and, and he goes on like this, he goes on and he says, if all your spiritual life is exposed... You do not have any roots. Are all of your virtues before God manifested to people? Or is there something more that is unknown to people about your life? Is there a part of your life that people don't know about, that inner deep life with God? Or is there something that is unknown to people? If all of our experiences are manifested, then all your growth is upward and there's no downward growth if this is the case, you are a person, me says, who has only leaves without roots, and you are on shallow ground. 
And that's kind of a dangerous place to be in because there can be a lot of shallow response, but no depth. I lived in Massachusetts for many years, and through the middle of Massachusetts, there's this highway that goes through the middle of Massachusetts. It's Route 90, I think, right? Mass Pike. And it goes from one end of Massachusetts to the other end. And as you're driving, you're going to go through sometimes some of these areas where literally the highway goes through a, a mountain that's been, that's been carved out by dynamite. And as you're going by, you can look on the side there, and you can see the rocks, and you can see like these, you can see these drill holes that go all the way down to like right down to the street level. And you can see that that was about a, like a hole that, 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 that round. And what they did was they drilled very deep. And back in the day when they were doing this, uh, it, was very, it was very arduous work. It was drilling, it, could just, it, just took, it just took hours to do this. And it was painstaking, it was monotonous, and they would drill, 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 drill. If they didn't go deep enough, when they dropped the charge and they, and they would dynamite it, there would be a huge blast of rocks and, and just debris would go everywhere, but the rock would not split. There would be no breaking of the rock. They had to drill, drill very deep, and as they drilled very deep, they dropped the dynamite in there, they would light it, and there wouldn't really be much of a sound. It'd just be like a low thud, just like a thud, like a, you know, in the ground, like something very heavy hitting the ground, and there would be this thud. And they would set off these charges, and there would be a few seconds Nothing seemed to immediately happen. And then suddenly you'd have this huge, massive piece of the rock just break off and fall. That's the way it is with meditation. That's the way it is when we're thinking with God. It's about decisions that we're making in our life. It's about the processes that we make. Deep roots, because if there's no deep root, there's going to be a large explosion. There's going to be a lot of attention. There's actually going to be injury. There's going to be response. There's going to be a lot of wow, but there's not going to be the deep issues are not going to be dealt with and there's not going to be any spiritual victory. Many of us, um, me says, me says this, so we need deep roots. When we have deep roots, then our experiences and our communion with God is very deep. Our communion with one another is deep. The Apostle John said this in 1 John 1. He said that if you walk in the light and I walk in the light, and we're going to have fellowship with one another. That's why, like, I may not see someone for a few weeks, but if they're walking in the light, and I'm walking in the light, then we're going to have fellowship. You know, like Colton's been out of town. It's like, he's walking with God in the light. I'm walking with God in the light. And, like, we meet, and we just, like, you know, it's like, it's right there. You know, we're, we're right there in the pocket. Like, there's communion there. And it's not like, hey, are you okay? Were you entertaining bad thoughts about me or me, you? or You know, all that weirdness that can happen when you don't see somebody for a while. I wonder how many conversations happens about me and my absence and all the weirdness that can happen. But deep roots mean that we have fellowship with one another. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, Paul talks about a very unique experience that he had. It says that 14 years ago, a man, whether it was me or not, I don't know, says I was, was raptured up into the third heaven. And he begins, he doesn't really talk about what happened there. And he said that I was told things that I could never formulate with my mouth. Can you imagine that? Like being told things by God that you cannot formulate by your mouth. And, and Paul talks about this 14 years after it happens. Can you imagine the wonders of heaven that Paul sees? It was probably something like the book of Revelation. Like John is seeing all this stuff happening in the throne room of God. But Paul doesn't talk about it. 
He's not touting this around as my revelation I've got to talk to everybody about. He waits 14 years and then he mentions it in a letter to the Corinthians. <laughs> like, he lets that experience with God go deep, deep, deep. How often does God say something to us about somebody else? Or a word of wisdom or, or, or something prophetic into our lives. And God speaks to us that we feel like we've got to go get on the phone, send a text, send that email, go and deal with us the first thing tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. Hey, i got to meet you. Let's get together. And there's like anxiety in it. Let it go deep. When God speaks to you and he says something to you, that's why I think it's pretty cool not to post on January 1st all of your New, Re- New Year's resolutions. Just wait. Just post in January. Just post in December 31st, the end of the year. Say, these were my resolutions. These were what I was believing God for, and this is what I saw. This is how I saw God come through. Paul here allows his deep roots, his deep experiences to go down because me says many of us cannot stand the test of visions and revelations. As soon as we have a little experience, we blow the trumpet and everyone knows about it. Paul never divulged his experience For 14 years, God's church knew nothing of it. Then he says this, Then should we not bear testimony? Yes, we should. Once the Lord told a certain person in Mark 5, verse 19, listen to this, Jesus speaks to this person in Mark 5, verse 19. Notice at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus is saying, Don't tell anybody I did this for you. Tell no man. Why? Because Amy Carmichael said this. She said, Fame is the most dangerous thing on the planet for a Christian. Attention. And so, just what Jesus says to, to these individuals, that he just did something incredible in their life in Mark chapter 5. He says, go to your house, to your own people, and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. Go tell your peeps, go tell your people, your family, tell your wife, tell your best friend, tell your prayer partner, tell them what's happening, tell your pastor, tell what's happening in your life. The fourth thing I want to mention before I just get into the closing is superficiality. Superficial living. I, I just love this because I love, um, I love going beyond the surface. In Isaiah 39, verse 1 through 6, the story there is Hezekiah is in a place where he is sick, he recovers, and the Babylonians send a, um, a representation from them out to, out to Hezekiah. The Babylonians show up to, the Hezek- to Hezekiah's royal court. Hezekiah is so um, infatuated with their presence that he feels that he needs to just open up the house of God and reveal all of the treasures, all the gold, all the vessels, the silver vessels, the incredible um, antiques that were in there. And he's, he's sitting there boasting about everything in the house of God. I think that this could be the way that we are. There are things that God has done. There are treasures in our life that if we were to try to tell you, even though you'd be sincere and you'd be wonderfully wanting to understand and to relate and to identify you would not be able to appreciate it to the level that you personally appreciate it. In Revelation chapter 3, we read that, that those that overcome are given a white stone. I remember when I was a Boy Scout, we were in this, we were in this derby race, and I got, I got a, a marble 
um, trophy, and it was all marble, it was white. What this white stone, my, my opinion is, in Revelation chapter 3, and it says that white stone has a name on it, and no one understands what that name is except for Jesus and you. And that is the hidden treasures that are worked into your life in darkness. In darkness. It's that white stone. And when we get to our mansion, when we check into that, that holy hotel or holy that day I can't wait to check into my mansion or whatever that is in, in the eternity in the eternity future, we're going to have that white stone that we have just gotten from Jesus. We're going to put it on the mantle and no one's going to know what that's about. It's going to be like, you look at that and you look at Jesus and you're like, we know what that is. Nobody else would ever understand what that is. But here Hezekiah displays everything. And because he displays everything, he loses it all in a short time later. The measure of me says, in which we display things to others, will be the measure of our own loss. The measure in our life that we exhibit before others will be the measure we give up in ourselves. Alas, so many people cannot forbear to closing their experiences. They have to speak to their heart's delight. I think it's good to have God do things in our life and just, and just let it sink deep. And there's going to be that moment. I remember... Well, there's going to be that moment where God will ask you to pull out that treasure and to share it with someone else. I want to finish with this. To be without root, three things I'm going to say when I close here. To be without root is to be without any treasure. It is to be without any hidden life or any hidden communion with God. Develop your inner communion with God. Develop that time with God. Let God speak to you things and then ruminate on it, meditate on it. Meditation is not a bad word. It's not a new age word. It's, it's rumination. It's looping. Instead of looping about fear and worry, anxiety, just begin to loop about a promise. Think about the promises of God. To so be without root means that we don't have inner treasure. There are times when, when we should go into our prayer closet and, or go for that walk. Or if, you're, if, you're, if your prayer room is inside of your car listening to worship music, when you're in that moment, Meditate, And you know something? There have been times when, when I've been in my car or doing something, and I'll be like, wait a minute. The presence of the Lord is here. God's presence is here. And just get on your knees. And just acknowledge the presence. Like, maybe it's 30 seconds. Just say, you know, I want to acknowledge your presence, God. I want to acknowledge you. I want to thank you. I have all these prayer lists, but forget that. You know what they are even before I wrote them down. I just want to worship you. I want to thank you, God, for the air that I breathe. I want to thank you for my family. I want to thank you that I have this in my life. Thank you that we are not getting our heads cut off right now um, in the Middle East. Thank you, God, for the freedom to meet together. Thank you, God, for and just worship the Lord and, and then get up and then carry on in your day. It'll change your life. It'll change your day. Or just get alone with God. Go to another room. The second thing is, is that Satan attacks always comes at a time when we are exposed. If we don't let roots go deep, and we just kind of blast it out there, if there's no depth in our life, then when the attack comes, there's going to be, we're not going to be ready. We're going to be blown all over the place. Let it grow deep. You know something, not everybody, you know something, my wife and I, we've been in, we've, we've just seen the faithfulness of God in a mighty, mighty ways in the last 30 years. I don't feel like I need to talk about it. I would like to, I mean, I'd like to, hey, this is all we did. It's like, this is, that doesn't matter. Because the most important today, the more, most important day, the most important moment in your life 
is not tomorrow, it's not what's gonna be for lunch today, but it's this moment right now. I only have this moment, and I can only, I can only control what I do. This moment, I'm gonna obey God by faith, this moment. I don't know what's gonna happen. I can't fix yesterday. I can't fix that text I sent that I was like, oh man, I wish I could delete that. I can't worry about tomorrow. I just have this moment today to acknowledge God. And when we live that way, you ever worry about what's gonna happen in the future? I remember living in the mission field, I just worried about what's gonna, where am I gonna be in 10 years? I was like, I think I was 22. And I was just worried about everything. Where am I gonna be in, where am I gonna be at 33 years old? Am I gonna be in the will of God? Am I gonna be, am I gonna fall away? And just all these weird things you think. I don't know if you've ever been there. And I just said, God, I can't control the next 10 years, but I can, I can, I can give you my next 10 years and I can commit them to you. When we do that, we can trust him. And then the third thing is, is when we extend ourselves deeper, and take root downward, we will discover the deep calls into the deep, and we can bring forth riches out of the treasure trove, and when we're sitting down and talking with Eduardo, we can say, here's a gift, here's a little nugget. Psalm 42, verse eight, I'm gonna finish with this verse. By the day the Lord commands his steadfast love. I like how the King James translates that word, loving kindness. What's loving kindness? It's things that God does in your life because he loves you. It's kind acts. It's not random acts of kindness to better the world that we live in. But these are intentional acts that God does in our life that he blesses us with because he loves us and that he shows kindness towards us. This is the, and it doesn't say that God does this randomly. It doesn't say that he throws the seed out there. There's some that receive it, some that don't. These are commands. This is the sovereignty and the providence of God at work where he's commanding his loving kindness into your life today, this moment. Amen. And at the night, his song is with me. Our prayer is to the God of my life. I think when we live with depths, when we allow God to... Uh, when we're in the moment, I was talking to Jeff last night on the phone, we're in the moment, we're like, what's going on right now? Nothing's happening. We're just in the moment. We're just going to enjoy God in the moment. That gives God the next hour to do what he wants to do in our life. And then he can just be free to serve. Because I am no longer in control of the outcome. And let's just, re- let's just re- release that issue. Let's no longer be try to be in control of the outcome. Even in this church, even in what we do, let's not try to... Out- let's not try to manipulate the outcome. Let's just commune with God, commune with our family, be present in our relationships with our husbands, our wives, with our friends, in our fellowship. Let's do this on a daily basis and let's commune together one with another and let's bring out our treasures in the quiet places and communion with one another. And we're going to actually do that right now. We're going to have communion and I'm going to ask if, um, I'm going to ask if, um, Jeff, can you lead us in communion? And then um, we'll have a closing prayer. And uh, pray with me a little bit.